0: You can be seated at this time. So I was, uh, I was standing in the middle of a park, and, you know, the wind was sort of rustling in my hair, and uh, um, I could feel sort of, I, I could see the leaves sort of doing that little tornado thing that happens, you know, and the wind is kind of strong, and the, the leaves are kind of swirling around. And in the distance, I, I see a tennis court, right? And I see people playing tennis, and, and I see one guy, he sort of misses his serve, right? It's not that good. Um, and then I look over to the right a little bit, and I see some kids, and, and they're, they're on a swing, right? And they're, they're on the swing set, and they're going back and forth and, and back and forth. And I see in the distance, I, I, I see a girl, and, and she's running, right? And she's, she's running around the track, around the park, and she, she, she runs around the edge, right? And she's, she's just rounding the corner, and she's by herself, but she's already done like three laps. I sort of watched her go around the track. She's, she's already done three laps. She's good. She's disciplined, right? She's disciplined, right? And behind her, I, I see a family, and they're, they're walking, right? And they're walking their dogs, and I think one's a husky. I don't know what the other ones are. I'm not that familiar with dogs, but I think one's a husky. And then turn back to my left, and I see kind of right in front of me, uh, there's this dad, and he's with this little girl, right? And she's on the slide, and she's sort of hovering over the side of the slide, about to go down, but she's scared, right? And the dad's trying to encourage her, and he's like, come on, honey, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm standing there still, right, and behind me I hear the thud of a basketball on the concrete and the screech of a man's shoes as he chases after it. And it smells like fall. You know, it smells like that kind of, like when you jump into a leaf pile and it's sort of that that moldy-ish but like leafy, it just smells like fall. You know, I remember doing that as a kid. That's what it smelled like in that moment. And I see a mom, and she's putting her kids in the car, and they're kind of driving off. But right behind her, another van pulls up, and a new set of kids jumps out and runs toward the playground. And then the sun sort of peeks out over the, the, the clouds, right? And I feel the, the warmth on my face. It feels good, you know? After all these, like, cloudy, sort of, like, cold days, it feels really, really good, I just wanted, Honestly, I just wanted to lay down there and just take a nap in the grass, right? I mean, that's what I felt like in that moment. But I continue to stand there, and I'm just sort of looking out at all this. I'm sort of thinking, and I kind of let my mind wander, right? I'm an introvert, so I like to do that kind of stuff. I'm just going to sit and think about stuff. So I let my mind wander a little bit as I'm standing in this park. And I start to think about the park itself. Like, I don't know who built the park. And I don't know when it was built. But I know the park was built with a purpose in mind, right? The park was built with a purpose. And as I looked out and I sort of surveyed the park, I I saw all these people coming to the park and enjoying it. Like everyone who came to that park, whether they were young or old, knew how to operate the park, Right? They went to the slides, and they knew to go down the slides, and the, the kids would get on the swings. They knew how to swing back and forth, back and forth. They, they went to the tennis court. They knew how to do that. Everyone who came to the park knew how to enjoy it and knew how to use it. And I knew that in that moment, as I was standing there, I was seeing something intentional and beautiful. But then I let my mind start to wander a little bit more, right? i got some time to kill, so I'm just sort of standing there, and I, my mind's wandering and I start to wonder, what would happen if people went to the park, but they didn't know how to use it? <laughs> like, like, what if they went to the park, and there's like a big crowd, and they're standing around the slides, right? And they're like, what do we do with this? Right? And they're sort of arguing a little bit. And then one guy's kind of bold, so he hops up on the slide, and he starts to climb up it, right? Just, just trying to climb right up it. And he says, he turns around, and he says, this is how you do the slide, But then another guy's like, no, I don't think that's how you do it. And so he goes underneath and he sort of hangs on the bottom of it and sort of swings a little bit, right? And it's like, this is how you do a slide. And so everybody starts arguing and arguing and arguing with each other and and no one really knows how to do it. So this place that was meant to be peaceful and this picture of, of beauty turns into a place of argument and of confusion, And I think it's a simple analogy, but as I was standing there, my mind was connected to today's sermon, and I started to think about love. Like, I feel like love is kind of like this park. That when the park is used for its intended purpose, it becomes something that glorifies God, that draws other people into it, and that creates a beautiful and wonderful picture of how God intended the world. It's like the park was built to be enjoyed. But I feel like for us, if I have to be honest, if this park is like an analogy of love, I feel like we're kind of like people as a society, and sometimes as a church, we're like people who are standing around the slide wondering, how do we do it, right? So we have a vague general idea that something's supposed to be done with this, and something's supposed to be done with the swings and the tennis court, but we don't quite know how to do these things. And so I thought of this park as an analogy of love, that when the park is done well, it's like love being done well. Today is the last of a series of messages and something we're calling Advent Conspiracy, which is kind of a really edgy, kind of. we're trying to be edgy, right? It's an edgy, cool title for basically reimagining Christmas. Right? So we're joining with other people in this world who have seen Christmas as sort of being hijacked by consumerism and like hyper-busyness and all this kind of stuff. And So this season, we've really tried to dial in as a church and say, let's do it a little bit differently. So Advent Conspiracy has challenged us to put Jesus back into the center of our lives. We want his presence more than anything else. And the last challenge of Advent Conspiracy is is very simple, and it's something that we probably all have heard before, and it's love all. The last challenge of Advent Conspiracy is to love all. And as I was thinking about this message this week, I'm kind of prepping for it, right? I think, do we really need another message on love? Like, honestly, do we really need another message of love? Like, Think about in the history of the church, how many messages on love have there probably been preached? I mean, thousands upon thousands, maybe millions. I mean, there's been a lot of messages preached in the world, and I'm sure a lot of them are on love. So do we really need to spend time on this message? And as I was thinking about that, I sort of thought back to the park, and I think we're a lot like the people standing around the slides sometimes, wondering how to do it. Like we know we're supposed to do it, but we don't quite know how. It seems like we've been arguing about love for a long time in our society, right? We've had a lot of different opinions, we had a lot of different people say that this is what love is. So some people are like, love is what you feel in your heart when you like something. Like, I like it, I love, I, man, I love Starbucks coffee. Or better yet, I love avid coffee, right? <laughs> Little plug there. Um, I love avid coffee. Other people say that love is just about treating all people with respect, right? So love is sort of just something that we do to other people. We respect them and we, we show kindness to them kind of thing. Or others say it's something altogether different. And I feel like we've argued about love for so long that our understanding of love has sort of devolved into what we call tolerance. You guys heard this word before, tolerance? It's it's probably if you watch anything of the news or if you're in school, you're going to hear about this word tolerance a lot. Tolerance has become the highest virtue in our country. We talk about it all the time. And tolerance basically just defines love as an acceptance of other people's beliefs so that we can all coexist together, right? So the goal of tolerance is so that we can all coexist as one people respecting each other's beliefs. But I want to pose a question to you guys today. I want to pose a question that I think is really relevant for us as a church. I think it's really relevant for your life because I think the way that you answer this question could lead you on a trajectory that changes the way that you interact with the world. So I want you to dial in. I want you to listen to this question. And it may seem easy at first, but think about all the implications, all right? You guys ready for it? And the question is this, would you rather live in a society of tolerance or a society Of love. Think about that. Would you rather live in a society of tolerance or a society of love? And I think it's an important question because there's a huge difference between those two. Like a lot of times we try to conflate them and say that they're the same thing. But I think that there's a huge difference difference. And the way that you answer this question is going to in- impact how you interact with the world. And I stand here today and I'm going to try to make the case that I think that tolerance has failed us as a society. I think that tolerance has failed us as a society. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think. I can't flesh them all out, but these are some of the things that I think of when I think about this idea of Tolerance. First, I think tolerance fails us because often the people who are saying that they're the most tolerant are also the people who are yelling the loudest. You guys ever notice that sometimes? Like, they'll select certain groups of people and give them more of a voice than other people. So tolerance says that it's for all people, but it really seems to be for some people. And not only that, but more often than not, tolerance becomes all about words and attitudes as opposed to action and deeds. Tolerance becomes about talk, and talk alone. And I would even argue that tolerance leads to indifference towards other people, as opposed to love towards older people, because tolerance says, I'm going to do me over here, and I'm going to let you do you over there, and as long as we don't mess with each other, we're good, Right? Is that not the tolerance narrative? Like, I'm going to do me, and I'm going to let you do you. So tolerance often leads to indifference toward other people. And so because tolerance is like that, I think that tolerance avoids the messiness and the pain of getting into people's lives and experiencing and sharing in their brokenness and trying to share their burdens and helping them with their thoughts about God and the world. For me, tolerance is a cop-out. Tolerance is a cop-out because it always stands safely at a distance, right? Tolerance is always standing safely at a distance. But as we talk about love and as we talk about loving all people, in contrast to tolerance, what does love do? Think about what love does in contrast to tolerance. While tolerance stands at a distance, love draws near to people, right? Tolerance stands at a distance, but love draws near to people. While tolerance lets people wallow in destructive habits and said, well, maybe that's best for you, but it's not best for me. While, while tolerance allows people to, be, to, to engage in those destructive things, love is not afraid to get in and to say, hey, that, that's destructive for you. That, that's destructive for you, and it's destroying your life. While tolerance calls all things truth, love seeks the truth no matter how painful it turns out to be. I think that love is better than tolerance. And maybe some of you have intentionally or unintentionally adopted this tolerance mindset toward the world. This sort of like standoffish mindset to the world. Even we in the church can do that often as we're indifferent to the people around us. And while I agree that respect for other people is a good thing, I wonder, is tolerance good enough? Is tolerance good enough? All right, I want you to imagine something with me, all right? So I want you to picture a couple, and they've been married for 50 years, all right? So you got that in your head? Picture this couple. They've been married for 50 years, and it's their 50th anniversary, all right? They've been married a long time. They've been doing it a while, right? And so on their 50th anniversary, uh, the husband takes his wife. He, he takes her to an expensive restaurant, right? That's something you would do on your 50th anniversary. He takes her to a very, very nice restaurant. And they have a meal. And at the end of the dinner, the husband takes his wife's hand. He takes her hand. And he sort of he, he pulls her in close, right? He pull, and he looks deep into her eyes. And they're just, they're just looking at each other. He's got her hand and he, and, he, and he whispers, honey, over these past 50 years, I've tolerated you. I've, I, I so, so tolerate you. And I've tolerated you for the past 50. I mean, we, he would never say that, right? If you said that, you probably would not have lasted 50 years in a marriage because your wife would never stand for that. And I think the reason that is, it is because love is the only thing good enough for marriage. So if love is so great, why should we as a society aim for anything less than love? Like, what, why should we, why would we ever do that? If love is so great, why would we aim for anything less? I believe that if we get love right, we solve a lot of problems. That if we get love right as a church, and if we get love right as a society, we solve a lot of problems in this world. I sort of entitled to this, this, uh, today's sermon, How to Make Your Christmas Complete. Because I believe if you love well this Christmas, that you will have something more meaningful than you've sort of ever had in your life. When I think back to some of my most meaningful Christmas, is, they weren't the ones that I got the most presents in. They were the ones where I reached out and did something in love for someone else. And so today, I'm going to call you, and I'm going to plead with you, and I'm going to try to persuade you to just do one act of selfless love for someone else this season. And I'm going to try to show you that because Jesus has this extravagant love for us, that we can have extravagant love for for other people. I believe that in a world that is calling us to tolerance, this Christmas season Jesus is calling you and he's calling me to something better than tolerance. He is calling us to love. He's calling us to a radical countercultural love for other people. And i got to be honest, we're, we're getting better about this, but in the past, a lot of things, times what we would do during the Christmas season is we would sort of stand at the edge of the world and we would say, Hey guys, Jesus is the reason for the season. Right? We're, we're sort of backwards. Sort of like I call it, Hey guys, Jesus is the reason. Remember that, okay? Don't you dare wish me happy holidays. It's Merry Christmas, right? That's what we have to say. we got to say that, right? So that's kind of what we've done in the past. But I don't think that that's ever going to lead to long-lasting transformational change in our city and in this world. And the reason I don't think that is because that's not the way that Jesus did it. Jesus shows that love draws near what Christmas and the baby Jesus and the manger shows us is that while tolerance stands safely at a distance, love is not afraid to get vulnerable and into people's lives. And that's exactly what we see in Christmas. I think about God. I think about God and he's up there and he's in heaven and he's looking out over the world and he sees our brokenness and he sees our rebellion and he sees us just running around like chickens with our heads cut off doing all this stuff that's super destructive to us. And God could have looked down on us and he could have said, all right, I'll let you do what you're going to do and I'll let you experience all the consequences of that. I'm just going to stand back and just say I told you so. But thank God that he is not a tolerant God but a loving God. Christmas is about a loving God that intervenes into a world where tolerance has failed. And church, if we're going to get love right, we have got to look at Jesus Christ and see the way that he did it. we got to look at Jesus Christ and see the way that he did it. So I want you to look back with me to, to 1 John chapter 3 uh, starting in verse 16. And we're going to read it again. It's just a few verses. I, I think there's, there's really no clearer expression about love, at least in this book and maybe even in the New Testament. So 1 John uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 16, this is what it says. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. All right, keep in mind, this is how we know what love is. Like bookmark that, underline it. That's super important. And then it goes on to say, And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So what I'm seeing out of this passage, and especially what I see out of the first verse, is that without Jesus coming down into Christmas, we would not know what love is. Like in a way, Christmas is like the architect of the park coming back and showing us exactly how to do it. Because Jesus is the architect of this world and he is the one who is showing us how to do it. And so for me, and and maybe you can join me in this, for me, as I look out and I think about love, and I can look at a lot of different examples of love, but I feel like if I'm going to choose an example of love, I'm going to choose the one that's had the most impact on this world. You know, right? So there's a lot of different examples, and maybe I could look to myself or maybe look to one of you guys, and I'm sure one of y'all love really well. But I I feel like if I'm going to model my ethic of love after anyone in this world, I'm going to model it after the person who has had the most impact. And I would argue that Jesus is that person. So White Oak, I want you to dial in for me for just one second. This is sort of my, my big point. This is the grand unveiling. And so I want you to lean in. So if you don't get anything else, or if you've already tuned out, join join us again, right? If you're going to tune out after this, then feel free to do that. But remember this one thing that I'm going to bring to you guys today because I think it's so important and it can drive our ethic of love. You guys ready? In a culture... In a culture that is so prone to tolerance, in a culture that does not know how to love very well, Jesus brings clarity to love. In a culture that doesn't know how to love very well, Jesus brings clarity to love. He lives it. He speaks it, he breathes it, he embodies it. Every pore in his body is love. And so, if I'm going to look out into the world for an example of love, I'm going to look to no one further than Jesus Christ. Because John says here that this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Look what it says in verse 16. Uh, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So I feel like God is flat out telling us that if he did not send Jesus into the world, we would not know what love is. Like if he had not sent Jesus, then we would just be standing around that slide trying to figure out how to do it. And somehow, as we talk about Advent conspiracy, man, somehow amidst all the gift giving and the gift cards, and the presents, and like the lights, and the busyness, we forget the fact that God came down. As a baby, and then as a first century Jewish peasant, as a man who died on the cross for you and for me, I do not exaggerate when I say that Christmas happened so that God could die. Christmas happened so that God could die on the cross. And when I think about Jesus Christ on the cross, like his humiliation, that the God of the world would be hanging on a piece of wood like a piece of meat. When I think about his suffering for us, I cannot help but see that this is the perfect example of love for you. Tolerance would never do that for you. Tolerance would never do that for you, but love would do that. John 3:16 describes a God who is not afraid of drawing near and getting messy. It's a very famous verse. I'm sure you guys have heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You guys want to like join me for that? We could do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That is like the mantra of Christianity. It's hard to find something more clear about Christianity than that. And for me, it shows that there is no one outside of God's reach. That there is no one in the world outside of God's reach. What does it say? For God so loved the world. So who falls into the parameters of the world? Everybody, right? As we talk about Advent conspiracy love all, who falls within the realm of all? <laughs> Everybody, right? It seems pretty obvious, right? For God so loved the world. How about this? For God so loved the poor. For God so loved the homosexual. For God so loved the Christian conservative. For God so loved the addicts. For God so loved the transgendered. For God so loved the prostitutes. For God so loved the poor. For God so loved the rich. For God so loved the whole world. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Love does not put parameters on who it is giving itself to. And this shows us that no one is out of reach of God. And so Christmas is not a, a, a holiday that's just for a few select people. It is for all people. As an invitation for them to come and experience life with Jesus. Jesus. It's a quick story. Uh, it actually comes out of the Gospel of John. Many of you probably know it. It's out of John chapter 8. And uh, one day, Jesus was sort of hanging out. He would hang out in public squares and stuff. And there, there was a, kind of a crowd in front of him because he was teacher, right? So people would crowd around him. And uh, some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day sort of walked up to him, and they're always trying to trap him, right? Because he's, he's always calling them out for their hypocrisy. He's always calling them out because they're not displaying, they're really not being teachers, right? And so Jesus is out there, and one day, the religious leaders uh, take a woman and they put him in front of them. All right, you guys know where I'm going with this? So they had caught this woman in the act of adultery. And you got, picture that in your mind of how that could possibly happen. How, how do you catch someone in the actual act of doing that? Like these dudes were probably laying a trap for her or something. right? So, so they take this woman and they put him in front of him and they basically want him to condemn her. Because Jesus came and he's preaching forgiveness, right? And he's like messing, he's like hanging out with the sinners and stuff. And so they want him to condemn her. Because in the Jewish law, it basically says that if you're caught in this act, if you're an adulterer, that says that they could actually stone you. They could actually kill you if you did this. So they wanted Jesus, they wanted to catch him in a trap. You guys know where I'm going with this? But what does Jesus do? He looks out at the religious leaders and he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And did they start throwing stones at her? No. What ends up happening is they all leave and it's just Jesus alone with the woman. And while he was alone with her, he tells her two things. The first he says, I don't condemn you. And the second he says, Go and sin no more. And most people who hear that story, and maybe you can kind of see which camp you fall into. But most people will hear that story about Jesus, and they'll celebrate one of of those two phrases. And so, some people will hang on to the "I do not condemn you" phrase. And they'll, be, they'll take that part of Jesus and they'll say, that's what Jesus is all about. We, we can't condemn people for their lifestyles. And we can't d- d- condemn people for sin or all this kind of stuff. Like, th- Jesus is all about love and tolerance and all that kind of stuff. So some people will hang on to that. And maybe, maybe that's you. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. But then other people will be on the other side and they'll hang on to this fact of like, go and sin no more. So for them, love is all about telling people the right way to live. Like there's a a best way to live in this life and and you should follow that way in life. So some people hang on to that part of Jesus' message. But here, in this moment, in this story, as Jesus is in front of this moment, I see him, in this moment, as in his whole life, perfectly bringing clarity to love. He is the perfect example of of how love is both grace and grace. And truth, like his entire life was dedicated to people, uh, helping people see that they needed him. Take a look at um, take a look at verse uh, sixteen, part B, right here uh, on the second part of verse sixteen. It says, "And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters." So here, John is telling us that Jesus laying down his life is not only our salvation. But it's also an invitation for us to join him in a life of giving up for others. And a lot of us, when we hear this phrase, like, lay down your life, we kinda, I kind of think back when I was a kid and I was with my friends, I'm like, I thought, man, I'd take a bullet for you, man. That's what we used to say to each other. Man, I'll take a bullet for you. Like We're we're homies. We're bros, man. If if push comes to shove, I'm going to take a bullet for you. And sometimes I feel like we read this verse, and that's kind of how we we see it. It says we ought to lay down our lives for other people. Jesus literally died on the cross, so if push comes to shove, man, I'll die for one of you guys. I'll do it, right? I'll do it. But, But I feel like there's more to this verse. And I think Jesus' example shows us that to lay down your life, it's not just about dying for people, but it's about living for people. It's about living for other people. This, this phrase, lay down your life, is really a radical call for us to reorient our life around other people, to not be so self-centered and self-focused, and especially this Christmas, to, to look around us and see what needs there are out there. Like, I don't know about you, but there's something about Christmas that always surfaces the needs of other people. Like, I know there's needs all year round, but it seems like during Christmas I, I become uh, acknowledged and I know about needs that are around me. They just seem to pop up in the Christmas season. And so it becomes this perfect opportunity for us to radically love other people. And I think to love other people, we, we need to run toward their needs and not away from them. John puts it this way. took a look with me in verse 17. He says, if anyone has material possessions, so, you know, money, goods, resources, stuff like that, uh, houses. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So what we're saying is if we care about people, it can't just be talk. If we care about people, it has to translate into action because that's what tolerance is. It's just talk. But love is action. And Jesus was tired of the just talk approach. And instead, he chose to act in love. And and whether you're like a visitor with us today or a member of our church, I guarantee if you think about your social circle, just right now, just picture sort of the people that you run with. I bet that there is a need in that circle that you had the ability to meet. Like this Christmas season, there are people who are out of work. There are people who are hurting because the Christmas holidays is often a time of longing for them because maybe they've lost a loved one or maybe they're divorced. There are people with car issues. There are people even struggling to eat. So Christmas surfaces all these needs around us. And we have the opportunity to show radical love to other people. Uh, A quick story, and this actually involves our youth, who I'm I'm super, super proud of our youth, and especially proud of uh, the stars and and just sort of their involvement with them. And so this past Wednesday, we actually had the opportunity as a church to sort of come together and and feed and go out and meet uh, some of the homeless, right? Which is something that we haven't really done that in a while. We kind of do that specifically and individually, but I'll say personally, I haven't done that in a while. So it was really cool to go out and do that. And just to see, like, Samuel Starr and Garrett and some of the others, and they're just sort of just talking with these guys, right? Just just having a meaningful, simple conversation with another human being. And and honestly, I was like, man, this is a picture of beauty. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, I feel like five years from now, I'm probably not going to remember any of the gifts that I got this year, even though I'm sure there's really good ones, Matt and Emily and Mom and stuff. I'm sure they're good gifts, But I feel like five years from now, I'm going to remember that moment as opposed to any specific thing that I got. And that's really what we're trying to say with Advent Conspiracy is that we can have a more meaningful Christmas if we make it more about Jesus and more about loving others. It will be more meaningful and more joyful to us. Look at what it says uh, in verse 18 as we sort of wrap up this, this passage. It says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I feel like it all boils down to this. Tolerance talks, love acts. Tolerance talks, but love acts. The whole point of Advent Conspiracy is to refocus our hearts on Jesus and refocus our resources on others in need. Like what we're calling us to do and what we're challenging you guys to do is like not buy another gift card for someone. Like I don't think we need any more gift cards out there. That's a good thing and I usually get those in a pinch because you can use them for anything. But I feel like if, if we just spent a little bit less on that stuff, just spent more time with people, And we took those resources and we sent them out into a lost and dying world that we would see radical transformation in our city and in this nation and across the world. And we've given you guys a lot of opportunities to do that. There's a lot of opportunities for us to do that this season. So every year we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, right? If you guys, we, we do this every year. And if you're not familiar with Lottie Moon, I, like go look her up. Just do the Wikipedia page or something like that. She, she was an amazing woman. So she was a woman who went out to China and to some other places, and she, she went to live there among people and just share the, the love of Jesus Christ with them. It's very simple, and back in the day, whenever you would go to a different country like that, it wasn't like these days where you get that like round ticket flight, right? Whenever you would do that, you often lived in that place your whole life. There's no coming back. And so we sort of honor Lottie Moon. There's an organization that sort of honors uh, her uh, demonstration of radical love. And that organization helps missionaries around the world and people who are trying to spread the love of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we as a church are getting behind. We believe that that the gospel is about gospel wonder and that God is good and that he loves all people. And so we're going to get behind organizations and causes that spread this love to the world. And so during our offering time today, we're actually going to have also a time where you can give specifically Delati Moon, and I, I super encourage you to do that. It is a great cause, and it is a good thing in terms of spreading Jesus' love to the world. We have this. I mean, if you just look behind you, I mean, look how many presents there are at our giving tree. I mean, that is like—I mean, feel free to look. I mean, that's amazing. There's like bikes and stuff like that. I mean, that—that is—that—that that is a church coming together and actually uh, putting uh, their money where their mouth is, basically. Like this—this this angel tree thing. We do it every year. It serves kids basically who um, don't have or come from broken homes or who don't have a lot of things that they actually need, like clothes and schools, school supplies and stuff like that. So we have a lot of opportunities uh, for you guys to participate in that. All right, so now we're going to draw to a close, and I want you to sort of, if you, if you kind of zoned out a little bit, I want you to dial back in with me because I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a very simple question, and you may have asked it before. I tried to think of it like a cooler, edgier way to say it, but I was like, man, I'm just going to say it like this, all right? So, so this is the question that I'm going to pose to you guys today, and it's something I want on your mind today and this week. And this is the question. Is your life reflecting the radical love of Jesus? Is your life reflecting the radical love of Jesus. Like, think about how Jesus brings clarity to love. Like, Jesus loved with his hands and feet. It was tangible kind of love. Jesus oriented his life around other people. Like, Jesus was not afraid to show love to the people who often get overlooked, right? So here were the crowds, and Jesus would often go to the person who was ostracized from the crowds, Jesus went to the poor and to the lepers and to people like that. Is your life reflecting the radical love of Jesus? As we close out Advent Conspiracy today, it's just been something very simple about flipping Christmas on its head. That realizing that that Christmas is really about the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is a mission of love. Love. There's no way around it. The mission of Jesus is a mission of love. And so this Christmas, I challenge you, whether uh, as part of your family or you individually, I challenge you to just think of one thing, one selfless act that you can do for someone else this season in the name of Jesus. I guarantee you, I promise you that you will have joy because of it and that it will make your Christmas complete. In the words of John Wesley, and I'll leave you with this, and and then we'll close. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for you we're so thankful for Jesus Christ, who has love come into the world. Father, I think about the reason we were created, which was to experience your love in this world. To experience your love for ourselves and to spread that love throughout this world. And so I pray for this uh, group of people, Lord, whether they're a visitor or whether they're a longtime member, Lord. I pray that they would, in this moment, experience the radical love of Jesus for them someone said, Jesus loves all of us as if there was only one of us. And Father, I pray that that love that you have for us would just resonate, would just stream out like a river from our hearts to the people around us this season. That it wouldn't be about gifts, but that it would be about the radical love of Jesus Christ in this city and in this world. We love you, Father. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.